As we get into our text today, our text is Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, God's Word. I'll be reading from the Pew Bible on page 1151, NIV version. The Word of God reads, Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. <clears throat> I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. This is God's word. Praise be to God. You may be seated. As Independence Day rolls around the corner, and I'm sure many of you will be going and getting your hot dogs and hamburgers and charcoal for your grills, um, I could not help but think about not just the great food that we will have, but the fact that one of the core aspects of Christian ministry is simply the act of setting people free by the power of Christ in the gospel. The gospel sets people free in various manners. The gospel sets us spiritually free from the power of sin and death. The gospel sets us morally free and gives us the ability, the power through the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, to say no to hate and yes to love, to love our neighbors and to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The gospel sets us culturally free. We no longer have to be bound by the mores and norms of our culture. We are only bound to scripture and to what God has called us to in obedience to his word. The gospel sets us emotionally free. We can be people of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and goodness. The gospel can also set us fiscally free. We don't have to be stingy with our belongings. We don't have to be stingy with our homes. We can open our homes to our loved ones, to our neighbors, to people we don't know, to people we don't understand. We can open the doors of this church to people of all ethnicities, cultures, demographics, backgrounds, we can be free to love people with everything we have. The gospel also sets us free from the bonds and shackles of slavery to sin. Jesus says in John chapter 8 that whoever believes in the Son will be free indeed. What does that indeed mean? In Christ, every way a human being, a Christian, can be free, we are free. We have been declared and justified 
free by God right here and right now. The moment you believed in Jesus, you were set free. But every day we are sanctified more and more into the likeness and glory of Christ Jesus. And every day we are being set more and more and more and more free. Every day. And as we look forward to Christ's return, to the day where we will not just be free in declaration, but we will be totally free in reality when Christ returns. Beyond this emotion, this enormous freedom, on Independence Day, it should be a reminder to us that, first of all, our greatest freedom is not our freedom from Great Britain. And even though we live in Delaware, the, the land of the no sales tax, it's not our freedom from taxation without representation. Even though I thoroughly enjoy living in Delaware, I just came back from Dallas and the sales tax there is 8.7%. Felt like I was getting robbed the whole time. Couldn't wait to come back home. But beyond this enormous freedom, we are also reminded that freedom must, must, must be fought for. While we often take our freedom for granted, freedom is not cheap. Jesus Christ died and gave his life and shed his blood and broke his body for our freedom in every way we could imagine. While freedom was purchased by Christ, Christ's death on the cross and cannot ultimately be lost, Satan, the world, and even our own flesh set us back from time to time in our journey, in our battle towards true freedom. The battle to be completely free from sin and death has been won. The war against sin and death was won by Jesus. But, but, there's still many battles to be fought. The world's evil has not gotten the message yet. Your flesh has not gotten the message yet that it is lost. And every day we must continue through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel to win these battles and maintain our freedom. Our text today, in one sense, is actually quite an ominous text. Because it is a text that tells us that, in fact, there is a plot in this world to make me, you, every Christian you know, and every person you know, into a slave. If you're a conspiracy theorist, you should be very comforted right now because there is a conspiracy theory against you. Evil, Satan, and the world wants you to be its slave. 
Paul makes it very clear that the enemy has a very clear, focused, and streamlined game plan to steal our freedom in Christ. Nonetheless, while Paul warns us of this incoming battle, he also lets us know how to overcome these schemes, and they are many. So the question is today, how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, remain free? How do we continue to walk in that perfect freedom that Christ has all already purchased for us in his blood? We can remain free if, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we stand firm in the gospel because Christ has already set us free by his death on the cross. So today we're going to look at this ominous plan and we're going to break it down in three ways. What is this ominous plan? The, the plan is to infiltrate, to investigate, and then to subjugate. I was very proud of that, right? I worked hard on that. I had to break out the thesaurus and everything, but we got it together. Infiltrate, investigate, subjugate. You got that? Let's get going. The first step the enemy takes to destroy Christian freedom is to infiltrate the church. If you have studied the book of Galatians, you know that Paul is in quite a heated battle with, battle with a splinter group in the church who believe that one must first become a Jew before they can become a Christian. Now, that doesn't sound too bad, becoming a Jew before you become a Christian. On some level, it makes a little bit of logical sense, right? Jesus was a Jew. If you want to be a Christian and follow Jesus, you should become a Jew too, just like Jesus was. Makes sense, right? Now, here's the problem. What does it take to become a Jew? You're a guy, you got to be circumcised. Now you, can, now you can understand why this is a big issue. This is a big topic of debate. Of, of debate. Not a lot of guys that want to sign up for this. So in effect, through putting up this barrier, through putting up this wall, you are actually pushing people away from Jesus, the very people who want to come to Jesus. If you know anything about ministry, there are so many walls that people make excuses for. Part of a, a, your job as a minister is to break down all of those walls. If you would believe it, every year RUF has a wonderful summer conference in Florida. And every year I tell my, my, my students, I show them pictures, I give them testimonials, and every year I have to pull people's leg to go to the beach for a week for free. Would you believe that? People put up walls to the gospel, and it's our job as a church to minimize those walls and to leave people without an excuse. But here we have a huge wall being put up. <clears throat> when you read the book of Galatians, Paul is serious about what he's writing. In this book, we use, see Paul use some of the harshest language in the Bible. He curses people. He tells people to beat themselves up and mutilate themselves. He is mad. He's furious. He's passionate. Paul is taking no prisoners. 
Paul is holding nothing back. He wants everyone to know that if you believe you have to do anything to be saved, that's a lie. He says, even if an angel is to preach another gospel besides what I am preaching to you, let him be accursed. Paul is pulling no punches. For this reason, Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to warn them about a very serious enemy that has snuck into the church. He says, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks. He uses this military language, infiltration, ranks, because he wants you to know that we're in a battle. He wants you to know that this is, this is something that we're going to have to live and die on. This is not a peripheral issue to Christianity. This is a central issue to what Christianity is and what the truth of the gospel is. Infiltrators take advantage of people. Infiltrators are sneaky, devious, cowardly. And as Jesus said, they come in through the back door. They come in through the back door. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you in here ever had your car or your home broken into? Many of you have. Many of you have. I've had both. People busted out my windows. People busted out my back window in my car and stole a 15-year-old laptop. I said, what are you going to steal that for? I would have gave you the laptop. <laughs> I was taking it to the dump. <laughs> but when I was a little child, I can remember uh, living in a not-so-great area of Atlanta, um, somewhat like some of Wilmington is downtown. And uh, I was about two or three years old, and I was living, we were, uh, me and my brother were sharing a room, my brother's 10 years older than me. Uh, it was the middle of the night, and we were sound asleep. And I can remember hearing a noise and someone coming through my window. And I didn't know who it was. The thought of someone infiltrating my home and breaking into my home had never even occurred to me. I'm a little kid. I don't know what theft is. I don't know what burglary is. For all I knew, it could have just been my dad and locked himself out. The footsteps sounded no different. As I thought about this, I thought about this is, this is the game plan. To sneak in, to look like a real brother, to look like a real sister in Christ, when in fact, your intention is to destroy this fellowship. The thing about dealing with infiltrators, which makes it so difficult, is that the easiest way to deal with infiltrators is just to simply not let anyone in. It's to put up burglar bars. It's to install I can remember being in South Africa, and every home there has not just a gate, but a wall 
with barbed wire and crushed glass and the biggest dogs you've ever seen because they have a problem with infiltrators. And the easiest way to keep out an infiltrator is to just not let anyone in. It's to close the door to everyone. And that is always the tension that the church lives in. Who do we let in? Who do we keep out? And that's the number one fear tactic that Satan will use to destroy the freedom faith church has to love people. Do any of you read Google reviews? Google, Google reviews are either the best or the worst reviews out there because they're not written by professionals, by people who get paid. Matter of fact, I like writing Google reviews because I can just tell it just like it is and I don't have to worry about anybody getting mad at me. But if you know anything about Google reviews, I, I looked at Faith Church's Google reviews. Most of them were probably written by you guys in here, right? So they're a little bit biased. You guys have a 4.2. Hey, if that was a restaurant, I would go there. I wouldn't feel bad about it at all, right? But as you read some of the reviews, one review stood out to me, and I, I want to quote it somewhat. It said that Faith Church has decent teaching. Some of you may be, uh, Kevin might be happy about that. Okay, I'll take decent. But then it said that, but it's not a great place for struggling people. It's clicky. I don't know if that's true. But what do you think? I don't know who this person is. Maybe they've never even been here before. Maybe they just got a grudge against Presbyterians. Right? We see that. We see that. But what do you think? Is Faith Church so afraid of being infiltrated that you've become clicky? That you've become not a great place for struggling people? While we fight against infiltration, the church must still be a safe place for struggling people. The real question is, will we trust that Jesus can protect us from infiltrators and weed out the tares from the wheat. The church must exercise wisdom, but ultimately the weeding out of the tares and the wheat is Jesus' job. Will we trust him to do that? The second step the enemy takes to destroy Christian freedom is to investigate the church. Now, I had to use investigate. Investigate is a little bit less threatening than spy, but it don't rhyme. So I had to use investigate. Have you ever investigated anything? Like I said, the text uses the word spy, but we all know what spies do, or do we? If we know what spies do, they must not be a very good spy. A spy's job is to not let you know is to get in and blend in. The spies Paul talks about in this text have a very specific goal. They're not just gathering random information. They don't, they're not interested in what you wear, how you comb your hair, what kind of car you drive, what you do for a living. They're not interested in that. 
They're interesting. Paul says, in spying out your freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. That's what these spies want to know. What can these people do? And what can't they do? Why? Why do they want to know where your freedom is? Why do they want to know where your boundaries are? Because oftentimes, our freedom as Christians can be our greatest strength or our greatest weakness. We moved into a house um, about a year and a half ago now. And uh, the inspector inspected everything um, except the massive carpenter bee uh, infestation I had. And when I say carpenter bee infestation, there were little holes all around that house filled with carpenter bees. And as the spring came around and the pollen hit, a swarm of carpenter bees hit me and attacked my family. And I started investigating how we were going to get rid of these carpenter bees. Because not only are they annoying and scary, but they will ruin your house. So I started dedicating my time to searching carpenter bees on, on the internet, going to carpenter bee specialist websites, talking to my exterminator and developing a plan of how we're going to get rid of the carpenter bees. I would get my lawn chair and I would just sit and watch them. Just watch their habits and say, oh, is that where your nest is? Is that where all of you are going in? Is that what, is that what you do? Is, is that the time of the morning you come out? I'm going to get you. But then I found out in my investigations that killing carpenter bees is illegal because they're pollinators. And pollinating bees are actually on the verge of extinction. So I had a big problem. I like honey. I like flowers, but I hate carpenter bees. So as I started investigating them, I realized that you don't really have to kill them. All you have to do, guys, take these notes, is fill up their holes with cotton swabs, and they won't go back in. That simple. So one by one, I started filling up those holes. And they would go back to those holes and they would say, what in the world has happened to my house? And the more I filled up, the more they actually started swarming the house. But would you figure this? As they started not having a place to nest, the birds came. And the birds started eat, sniping those carpenter bees right out of the air. And before the end of the week, there were no carpenter bees left. They were all gone. Hallelujah. Their greatest strength had become their greatest weakness. It's the same for the church. How will you use your freedom? The world is investigating you. Satan is investigating you. They're sending in spies to see where your weaknesses are. How will you use your freedom? Will you be using your freedom 
for evil? Or will you use your freedom to love? We are not free in Christ to do whatever we want to do. We are free in Christ to love whomever the Lord brings our way. How will you use your freedom? The last step the enemy takes to destroy Christian freedom is finally to subjugate. Now, slavery is already a nasty enough word, but subjugate for some reason just sounds even worse. Subjugate. They're going to put you below them. They're going to lock you down. They're going to put you in fear. As we look at this text, he says, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, Jesus and to make us slaves. Now, why was, must we be made slaves? If you are in Christ Jesus, you are not a slave. You are a free person. You are a free person in Christ Jesus, who was created in Christ Jesus to love and to follow God with all that you have. As we look at this text, all of the things that we think about on July 4th, independence from this, independence from that, the Civil War, the, the, the great and the wonderful things that make, make up this country, come together and we think about this idea of slavery as, as even as the wonderful history that we've had as a country. That was our darkest moment. It's an ugly thing. It's a nasty thing. It's bringing us right back to the garden. Where in thinking that in sin we can find freedom, in rebellion from God we can find freedom, all we actually find is slavery. Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who hates is a slave to hate. Anyone who is greedy is a slave to greed. Anyone who is ashamed to, to hang out with somebody or to be with somebody who is not on their socioeconomic level is a slave to what others think about them. Any sin you participate in makes you a slave to that sin. There is no easier way to understand the evil that sin is than by understanding it in the way of slavery. No one in here wants to be a slave, but that is exactly what we sell ourselves to when we commit to not believing the gospel. When we commit to putting up barriers on our brothers 
and sisters in Christ. It's the worst thing a Christian can become. I, I told you that story earlier of the individual who broke into my house. Um, but what I didn't tell you is that as he investigated our house and went through all of our belongings and stole my mother's jewelry, eventually my dad caught wind of it. And that individual ran right back into our room. And as he climbed out of the window, he dropped a big Bowie knife. What was the purpose of that Bowie knife? It was to subjugate us into fear. You know, my dad still has that knife. He keeps it in his sock drawer. And every time I used to go into my dad's sock drawer as a little kid, I would see that knife and I would remember that day. I would remember that day. And I still think about it and it still scares me to this day. My wife will tell you at our house, we got cameras everywhere. Everywhere, front door, back door, kitchen, everywhere, because I want to see what's going on in my neighborhood, in my driveway, with my cars. I want to make sure my family is safe. I want to make sure my family is free. In the same way, God wants to make sure that you are safe. God wants to make sure that you are not being subjugated to anyone else. Because if you are being subjugated to anyone else, that is glory that is being taken away from God. And it's only God that is to be worshipped. It's only God that is to be feared. And we are only to serve the Lord. Any type of slavery is an affront of God's, of God's rule and majesty in this world. Slavery is diametrically opposed to everything the gospel stands for. We are to be free. We are to be free just as God, as Moses told the Israelites, we are let my people go so that what? We may worship the Lord in the desert. We are free in the blood of Christ so that we may worship the Lord in this broken and desperate world. And so that we may go out and proclaim this message of freedom to DSU, to Wilmington, to Newark, to Dover, to Philadelphia, and to wherever the Lord may lead us so that we may go to those places and set people free in the name of Jesus. The book of Joshua reminds us that as God's people, we are not to be afraid. We are not to be timid, but instead we are to be bold, free, and courageous. We are to go into this world and as Paul says in verse 5, he did not give into them for a moment in order to maintain your freedom 
You must not give into legalism for a moment. You must not give into clickiness for a moment. You must not give into hate for a moment. You must not give into fear for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. So sisters and brothers, as we close today, I want you to go out and not put up with slavery, with sin, with hate, even for a moment.